so just to recap so that we know where we're at, because there is a transition right here. It kind of pivots a little bit. We're in 2 Peter uh, chapter 1, 3 through 6 is kind of where we're, our focus is, but we've got to go back to the first to see kind of why Peter gave this letter to begin with. Uh, I apologize now. I've, I've done a lot of Pauline uh, study, so if I interchange Peter with Paul, uh, just know I, I also need your grace. Um, so anyway, he, he goes in to say, to those who have received the same faith as ours. So we automatically right there know that he's a believer talking to, uh, to other believers, all right? Um, and then why is, it, why is he talking to other believers? Well, we see in uh, the next couple of verses here that, like I said, grace and peace be yours in abundance, all right? right? There's, there's everlasting life, and then there's abundant life. That abundant life is kind of what we get to experience on this side of heaven. Everlasting life, obviously, is what we get to experience on the other side of heaven. Um, and so this is what he wants for them. So right out the gate, he's showing that he's got affection for them by saying, hey, I want you guys to have grace and peace because these are the soils that things grow ridiculously beautiful in so that you can be fruitful. I want you to be fruitful. I want you to have grace. I want you to have peace. I want you to have abundantly. But how's it come? The knowledge of God through Jesus Christ. So now we've got to look at some things like, okay, well, what does all of that mean? Well, he starts speaking into their divine nature. If you have been saved, if you've been justified, if you've understood that Christ's payment on the cross was a payment for your offense against God, right? It takes an eternal God to make an eternal payment, that you've accepted this as your reality, that you believe that that took place and that that fine, right, that punishment Christ has met, uh, I like to use the uh, gospel moment right here. I like to use the metaphor of a speeding ticket. If you've, if, you've, if you've sped, right, and cops have pulled you over, you're in violation of the law. Whether it was a mile over, whether it was 10 miles over, if you've gone down 1408, they got that nice flashing thing that tells you you're going over 45 miles an hour, and then there's a cop that likes to hide right around the overpass that also likes to remind you that you were going 45 over. Anyway, um, so there's an offense, right? Well, that thing requires some kind of payment. Some kind of punishment is due. Uh, and this is the same scenario. Christ has paid that payment for you. If somebody goes down to the courthouse and pays the fine for your offense, you can't then go and put five more on top of that. Or go back up there and say, well, just hold that. I'll come up with the proper amount, and then you can give them their money back. Great thing is the court doesn't care. The payment has been made. You've been made right. You've been made straight with the law. The good thing is, in Christ, it's an eternal payment. And so that fine has been paid. Now, we still have a sinful nature, and we still have things that, that pop up that kind of separate us from God, uh, that kind of uh, lose that fellowship, being that relationship has been established. And so we need each other, because we can't do it by ourselves. One, Jesus knew that, which is why he created this vehicle called the church. But he also knows that we need more than that. We need a divine intervention in the Holy Spirit. So he's placed that within us at the moment of belief. And so we have this divine nature that we need to exercise, right? There's this new nature. And so when you look at this divine nature, Peter's pointing out that, one, this new nature, because you've got to understand this for all the, those virtues to kind of make sense. This new nature, growing in godliness towards Christ's likeness. Nah, say that three times fast and let me know how, how successful you are. But Christ-likeness, honestly, is just taking the things that we've seen Christ do and Christ say and then replicate those, right? Christian, the word in itself in church history, was meant to be a derogatory term. It, it means little Christ, but it was a way of the first 300 years of persecution of the church. It was a way of people kind of just dogging you out, kind of just belittling you by calling you a little Christ. Uh, but, of course, they also understood that to say that you were a believer in Christ also meant persecution. Uh, of course, there's Constantine and all the other stuff, but I won't bore you with that. We actually had a couple of Wednesdays where we went through that step from Daniel all the way to Christ and then uh, over the four Passovers. Um, but then there's fruit. There's divine nature, so that's who you are. And as you're growing in whose you are, you're going to naturally have things about you happen. Um, and that's the fruit we're talking We're not talking about ornaments. We're not talking about things you hang on yourself like a Jesus shirt or you show up on Sunday mornings um, or you shake hands or whatever that is. 
that you're just kind of putting on and taking off every day. No, this is something that's naturally going to spring up without you and then naturally be shared with others around you. And so you have your divine nature that you've got to understand Paul's addressing here. And then also the fruit, that's that abundance. Uh, it's harvest time, right? That's usually when things, the fruit and everything is kind of counted. Things look a little more beautiful, provided they survived this past summer uh, with our 100-degree weather. Uh, and so Paul's speaking into that. He goes on into the rest of, uh, rest of verse 3 and 4. He says, his power, uh, his divine power has given us everything that we need for a godly life through our knowledge of him. Talking about God, right? So we've got to have that knowledge in order to uh, exercise all of this stuff and receive that grace and peace abundantly. He um, says, through these, he has given us his very great magnificent promise. So we've got a promise here, right? Um, so that through them, you may participate in the divine nature. And so that's the whole header before we actually started stepping into the virtues that we've kind of covered uh, the last five weeks. So godliness is where we left off last week. And so that was the fifth in our right? There's a list of seven if you haven't counted them. We've gone through five, but I told you that this is kind of a pivot in uh, the realities of the virtues that Paul, uh, uh, Peter's uh, sharing with us. And so we've got the first five virtues, right? Because they talk about the inner life and then your relationship to God. Kind of like how the, how the Ten Commandments do. Some of them have to do with you in relation to God and you in relation to others. Um, first five virtues, moral excellence, right? These are things that you work on internally. Uh, your knowledge, this is you and God. Uh, Self-control, um, again, you and God. The great thing is try to understand that God's going to tell us things to do. He's going to command things for us to do that we can't do. And it's great. The only thing is we still have to do those things. And so then we have to start examining the hows. We can't just say, well, I can't do that. And God says, well, okay, just do what you can. That's not how God negotiates. If he gives a command, he says, hey, do these things. One, because I know that it's going to cause you to need me to help you to do those things. All of these things have to do with relationship. All these things have to do with coming closer. And in that closeness, we get this grace and we get this peace and we get it abundantly. So all of it winds up working in our favor. But honestly, all of it draws us closer to God. So we have perseverance, right? You've got to, even when you're ready to give up, right? Even when it's the, the top of the ninth and, and you're down by two and, you know, Altuve's up, right? Um, you got to persevere. Why? Because there's nine innings in that ball game. Life's not over until your last breath. So don't stop just because you're done. God's not. And honestly, that's the power that we should be living out of anyway. So we've got godliness, and that's where we were last week was godliness. And this is saying that, okay, let me look at the things that God says to do, regardless of how fun they are or how hard they are, and let me start to exercise those things. Because you may find out things about yourself. You may find out things that you've been doing wrong, uh, that you've been going about wrong. Your attitude may not be what it should be. And then you start getting a little more in line with God. And then you start getting this knowledge. And then you start getting this grace and this peace. And then it becomes abundant. And then the great thing about having an abundance is you overflow. And we talked about that fruit. It starts getting all over everybody. Um, so this week, we get to look at the last, well, the last one, but it brings us to our last verse. The last two relate, uh, relate to your relationship to others. Uh, first five, relationship, inner self, and God. The last two have to do with your relationship with others. Now, all these verses kind of build on each other to the climax of that last one, love. And that's, that is the agape word, right? But ultimately, that's going to be a whole lot, right? Because only God loves in that way. Uh, this is basically saying, I don't care how you respond to me in the way that I love you. I love you because I love you. It's not a, well, I held the door, you should say thank you. But how many times have we held the door and been like, you're welcome? You know, uh, Maybe it's just a Texas thing, I don't know. Uh, but that is a love that really only God can give. And that comes with that closeness and that Christ-likeness and examining that godliness and examining our inner self and really working those first five virtues. And then you get to this brotherly affection, right? So for the sake of leaving Pastor John, who will be back next week, for the sake of giving him something to preach and 
increasing the opportunity of me being able to speak to you again. We're going to leave love alone and leave it for him to preach on next week and just focus this week on brotherly affection. So some of you may have in your Bibles what it reads, kindness, but it's actually a little bit deeper than that. It's a bit more intimate than just being kind. Um, I know we tend to Americanize a lot of words and we tend to um, I actually spared you guys like the five different words for love in the Greek, whereas we just say love and toss it around when half the time we really mean like, you know, as long as as long as we're cool, as long as you're giving to me and I'm giving to you, we're OK. I love you versus we talked about well, what will be talked about next week is I love you because I love you. I can't help but love you. If you have children, you know exactly what this is. Um, if you have a really close sibling, you know exactly what this is. They fall off, they disappear, but you know what? You love them, and they come back, and you just pick up like nothing ever happened, regardless of how much they're thinking of themselves. You just treat it like, hey, I'm glad you're back. Let's go on, right? Prodigal son type stuff. Uh, Ryan preached two Sundays on that. Uh, we see that same kind of uh, affection uh, going on in those, those settings. The fun thing about this is he left me with this word, and it's only used two other times in the entire Bible. So that was its own fun to try to dig out because it's used in context attached to other words. One of them is Romans 12.10, and it actually talks about uh, this brotherly affection, and it's connected to honor, which is, is its own fun thing because when you honor somebody, it's almost like I'm, I'm willing to serve you regardless if you're worth being serving. So you can kind of see some of the, the reflections of, of an agape love there. Uh, the other is in 1 Peter 1.12, earlier in the first letter from the same Peter, uh, he says that to show sincere love to each other as brothers and sisters. Again, this is addressed to the church. This is the one another. Okay, When you see one another, when you see brethren, brothers and sisters, those words automatically connect you to the fact that you're believers to, un other, to other believers. Now, this, this doesn't mean that you shouldn't love or you should be affectionate towards other unbelievers. You may be married to one, best friends with one, go hunting with one, fishing with one, uh, maybe you knit with one, whatever your vice is. There may be others, but this particular thing hones on on how, well, let's just simplify it, how church folks should be to other church folks, okay? But I also wanted to just put the little asterisk that you can be affectionate towards other people in general, but this is just more for believers to believers. So... We're going to ask and answer three questions. Answer the what, the why, and the how. We'll look at what is affection towards other believers, why is this important, and how, how do you experience it? So we'll go to point one with the what. What is affection? Why does this even matter? Why does God care so much about this? Why do Peter and Paul, for that matter, care so much about this to kind of just push it on us? To, to one, get it in the Bible, and then also to say, just be like this, be like this, be like this, be like this. There's fragments of, even though the, I told you that this word's only used like two other times in the, in the Bible as a whole, there's also fragments all throughout the Bible that kind of speak to each piece of this in, in, in bite-sized pieces, like a mosaic. Uh, the windows in the back is a good example of that. It's a whole window, right? It's a whole word, but there's little pieces that kind of come together to kind of help you digest it and then reflect it. Uh, so what is affection? So brotherly affection is an emotion-laden word. So go ahead. I'll go ahead and let you know that you're not off the hook if you just like I just I can't I, I can love them, but do I have to like them? This tells you yes. This does not afford the interpretation of I love them, but I don't have to like them. No, this is an affection. Uh, in fact, if if we go ahead and, and, and throw up the the Greek word there, you have this notion that you don't have to like people; you have to love them. Uh, and in one sense, it's, it's not so much a like as it is a caring. Um, you treat them respectfully, you know, you, you show up, you serve them when they're here, you shake their hands. Uh, maybe it's not even part of this faith family. Maybe it's just another believer in general. So I'm trying to broaden your idea of other Christians. You may work with them. And, 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 and we'll get into it, but, you know, it's just like we'll get into the whys and the hows, but it's like maybe the guy's just a jerk. But you know that God has given this payment, and he's accepted that payment, but just, man, that's just, he just rubs me wrong, and, and uh, you know, or I, I can't stand this woman, or, or just whatever, whatever the case is. Uh, 
it's this, it's, it's what, is, what is this affection? Because I need to know what it is before I figure out why I should give it and then how. So we'll step through those things. So first off, this word is actually a bit of a compound word. Uh, we'll, we'll nerd out a little bit here in the Greek. Uh, we have the word storge. Uh, I told you I saved you the five. I'm at least going to give you two. So it's this, 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 this philostorge. It's this, this comfortable closeness. Um, talked about cooler weather. Eventually, we'll get those five days of winter. Uh, they'll be scattered, but we'll get them. Uh, but it might be time to pull out that old sweater that you looked forward to. I don't know. Some of you may wear a sweater around the house because you keep it cold enough. Uh, but it's that old sweater that, man, you just don't want to throw away. And it have, may have paint all over it. Uh, it may have holes in the elbows. But it's just the most comfortable thing that you could possibly put on your skin. And you just love that thing to death, right? Uh, maybe it's an old dog, all right? It just lays there most of the time. It barks when it's supposed to, barks when it's not supposed to, loves to get in your face, right? It's just a dog. But eventually that dog's going to pass away, and you're going to cry. You know, you're affectionately connected to this, to this, this animal. Uh, maybe it's a chair you've sat in for decades, or maybe it's just a friend, and, and that rare kind of friend. You know where if you're sitting down and eating, five minutes of silence isn't that big of a deal? You know, you can just... You can just be in the same room with them and you just appreciate them and you look forward to it even though you may not do a whole lot of anything but just talk about the same couple of things um, that's, that's, that's a good friend but it's that kind of affection that he's talking about here so you can see why you're not off the hook by just loving them you don't have to like them um, and it says to, to get to that level with each other uh, of course the first part of this word is uh Philadelphia, of course, you're going to recognize it as Philadelphia as we tend to pronounce it in the English and the, the, that, that sad team that thinks they're going to face the Astros in the World Series uh, over there with the brotherly love, which seems to be everything but. but um, now, it, it means a family love. It's a brotherly love. It's these deep bonds. Um, I told you I've had children. Uh, I've got children, uh, all different ages. I'm a, uh, I've got an older brother, younger sister. Uh, so I know what that, that dynamic looks like, right? You pick on each other, you poke at each other, you annoy each other. Everything could just be going great. You may be experiencing this, this peace and grace as you're growing up, and it may be in abundant. But then your little brother, little sister, maybe it's your older brother, just cannot stand for you to have grace and peace. And they just start finding something to nudge you or annoy you poke at you, pinch at you. Maybe they decide to hide something that they know that you really, uh, that you really need, like your phone. My, my six-year-old loves to do that to the 16-year-old. She'll just sneak over and grab the phone and go hide it. Uh, maybe it's my wife having a perfectly good day, and we've got these, these little fake roaches that you can wind up, and they'll shoot across. She'll go stash them various places. Uh, it's funny, but it's it's, it's, an, it's a show of affectionate love, and it's because it's, it's like it's this fruit because you care about that person so much. Uh, maybe the annoyance is just, I don't, I'm bored, and you look like you're having a great day. Let me see what I can do to kind of ruin that and agitate you. Um, so those, those are kind of the two compound words. And again, like I said, they've only happened two other times. But, uh, but that's the familiarity. That, that's family. Uh, and, and we pick, and they beat, and, and, and all the other stuff. And we even talk trash on each other. But let somebody pick on the youngest one. Let somebody do one of those brothers or sisters wrong, and you'll see, you'll see affection in full effect. Um, you'll almost, it, it's almost like you're the victim, and you almost have to hold off the brother and sister or the mom and dad from doing anything to the person that's actually wronged you because you know what's fixing to come. That's affection. That's the fruit of affection. Is, is, it, is it's defending as, as much as it is closeness. Why? Because you want them to have the grace and peace. Nobody else gets to pick on you but me, but in that, nobody else gets to pick on you but me because nobody else has that same closeness. They don't have, the, they don't have that right. Um, of course, with my brother and sister, we've matured and gotten a lot older, and, uh, and we appreciate the time together. Um, and a lot of times, that's what it is. We're just sitting there. Uh, we try to make it an annual thing, if, if at least once, to go float the river. And there's times where we're just not saying a word. We're just together. And it's enough. 
So that's, that's the meaning of our word. That's the, that's the what. Uh, but again, this doesn't let you off the hook to say, I'm just not an affectionate person. I, I just can't, I can't see myself doing those things. And you may be right, but God says you must. And you can't do it under your own power. He says it requires the other folks, other Christians in your life, and it also requires the Holy Spirit working within you to get past those things. The great thing is, if you get to that point, that is a beautiful arrow pointing back to what God's done in your life because you know that wasn't you. And when it talks about the gifting of the Holy Spirit, you can point back and say, that wasn't me. I could have told you 15 years ago I could have stood up here and talked in front of people. I'd have been choking and, and everything else. It would have been ridiculous. I'd have probably been shaking halfway up the stage. But I know that's not me. And I can point to that and say, hey, it's not that I got to speak to my church family today. It's that it was, it was a show to me. It was a reminder to me of what God has done in me. Otherwise, it wouldn't have been possible. And I would have been up here with a closed throat. And you guys would have just really been praying for me and snickering and everything else. It would, it would have been sad. It really would have been. Um, so let's move on to the why. Let's move to the whys. So why is it so important? Why does it matter that we're affectionate to each other? Well, the first thing, let's go to the Sunday school answer. It's in the Bible, so it must matter. If God said it, then we must have to do it. Uh, but that requires us taking the steps of kind of examining God's mind through the scripture that he's left us. And so God commands that we love with affection because this experience shows the reality of our new nature. A lot of what I just talked about right there was... You know, I knew I couldn't be up here under my own account 15 years ago. I just knew that about myself. Uh, it actually kind of scared me when I knew I had to take preaching and teaching classes. I thought, well, maybe a group of peers in a small setting teaching Sunday school or something. Not that big a deal because you tend to cut up. You, you, it's a little easier. But when you come up here and everybody's looking at you and the lights are here and you're hoping the slide, slides come out the way that you wanted them to and that the, you know, their job to get everybody in that moment and, and, and just get the mindset of intimacy to receive and you come up here you don't want to botch it uh, you don't want to fumble over your words you don't want to forget everything because it happens uh, stage fright is a deal with with uh, my daughter she's in theaters it, it could be something she's had to help people along but this isn't one of those situations I don't have another actor or actress up here just to kind of bring me back to those points so if God commands it we have to do it but it's a reality of our new nature. We've been justified. We've been uh, given the Holy Spirit. Uh, we've been given new things uh, within us. And so naturally it should come out. Now you can't say, well, if it's natural, then why should I be really having to exercise for it to happen? Well, it's natural in the fact of who you are and living in the reality of this new nature. Uh, it says that because of who I am and whose I am, this is the direction I should be going. And the great thing about the path God has given us is as you go the direction towards Him, things are going to naturally happen. They're going to happen without, outside of your control. You're going to get developed in certain ways. And God is going to put some people in your life that are going to continue to grow you. But you still have to be responsible with it. See, God's not going to set you up for failure. He's going to give you what you need, even if you think you want more and you're ready for more. And then as you show that you're responsible with this, he'll give you more. And the thing, it just continues. I'm not going to give you more than I can handle, says the Lord, right? Not, I'm not going to give you more than you can handle. I'm not going to give you more than I can handle. But I'm also not going to advance you to the next, kind of that next step or give you more until you've accomplished this, until you've got this down, because I'm not going to set you up for failure. So we still have some responsibility within that, right? Uh, you've got, you got divine guidance, but you have human responsibility. So it basically, th this is a pouring out of our new nature. 1 John 5.1 tells us that everyone who loves the Father loves whomever has been born of Him. So if you've been born of God, right, the great thing is He kind of points out two things here. He points out, he points out birth, and He points out adoptions. Those are two ways that you get into the family. And he says, I've got you on both. And so in that new birth, he says, you're in the family. Act like it. 
if, if you've seen or if you know somebody that their family runs a business, they kind of bring the kids in and they have to learn the business. Uh, if you're part of your own family, you start taking on the characteristics of kind of how your family runs a household. You act like it. You don't act like you're part of somebody else's family. Uh, hopefully you don't. Uh, but it's, it's this affection that says, hey, this is, this is what I belong to. This is who I am. And this is what we do. Um, you see a lot of that with this faith family. It's, this is who we are. This is what we do. People see it that are guests that walk in. Uh, it shouldn't be so much of a question to them as uh, who you guys are and what you're about. Uh, this faith family actually kind of brings you in and says, hey, where can I help serve? It's attractive. So that's the first, that's the first one is, is uh, God commanded it. So loving with affection is important because it shows our new nature in Christ. So it's evidence to other people. It's just naturally going to happen uh, that we're going to be that way. It's our spiritual DNA. And to not do it actually kind of goes against the nature that God has put in us, that God's developing in us, and that God wants us to show others. Uh, second, God demands that we love with affection because His strength, uh, because this strengthens and confirms the faith of those we love affectionately. Now, I, I back this up with 1 Corinthians 4.26, and it says, Love with affection, uh, Loving with affection, basically, uh, is a way of confirming and strengthening the faith of others. So, in summary, my brothers and sisters, when you meet, everything is done in meeting must be done to strengthen all of you. So he's saying, be intentional towards other people. When you love other people, it lets them know that they're in the family. Uh, maybe you've dated, maybe, uh, maybe seen some of, some of the movies. Ben Stiller had a movie uh, where the whole point was, you know, the circle of trust. And every time he kept messing up or he would try to impress, he would get a little note saying he was still outside the circle. He didn't feel part of the family at any point. In that movie, no matter how much he tried, no matter how much he thought he was part of the family. Uh, in fact, I have, I have a slide of a discipleship group uh, from Lamar University. This was dated, so never mind the hair and the cargo shorts. Uh, every single one of these guys were for somewhere different. Uh, the guy on the right side was from Pasadena. The guy uh, just passed me on the end. Uh, he was from Waco. The guy in the middle was actually from Nigeria. Uh, guy next to him was from Wisconsin, and then um, our, our little token ginger of the group, uh, he was actually a long-distance runner, and uh, he was from Oregon. And all these guys were at Lamar University. Uh, I'd met them working with FCA. Uh, they said they wanted to feel like they were part of this, this, this faith family, this, this Christian family, God's family. And... Um, Things just kind of was, was kind of uncomfortable for them spiritually. They wanted to exercise that, and so I invited them to, uh, well, let's, let's, let's disciple. Let's meet once a week. Let's hold each other accountable. Let's, let's be available for each other's counsel and encourage one another to be more than what we kind of put on ourselves, right? Uh, Dan was talking about sometimes we look at ourselves, and we're, we're kind of our worst judge. And so sometimes you need another set of eyes that sees us as God's creation, receiving God's grace under God's love, and build that up so that we can get past some of those things that internally we see about ourselves. Get past our own self-judgment to say, hey, you know what? I am more than I see myself. Uh, but in this, these guys really wanted to feel more than just going to class, going to FCA. They were away from home, so there was the loneliness. So they wanted to feel some sense of belonging. Uh, the one from Waco was actually an uh, all-conference uh, punter. Uh, he was actually supposed to end up at Baylor. Uh, something had happened there where they had to go with, like, it was kind of a weird thing. Some people on the team got hurt, and they needed to replace them more than they needed to bring in this punter on scholarship. Then he was going to go to Oklahoma State, and then the same thing kind of happened there. It was him or another guy, and the other guy was in state, so he ended up kind of getting X'd out. So then he comes back down here. He honestly doesn't go to Sam Houston because he doesn't like Orange. And Lamar was just starting their football uh, program back up, and they sold him on the fact, you'll be the first one to ever wear this helmet. But then the coach was just a total jerk. Uh, just tore him down. Um, as good as he was, he got to where he just didn't even enjoy it anymore. 
Uh, same thing with the guy on the end from Pasadena. He was a center fielder, uh, played on the baseball team. He was kind of the same way. He's man, I'm just, you know, I'm starting to get in some classes where, uh, you know, they're talking about creationism versus whatever, and, you know, I feel like I'm kind of getting pinned up, kind of like the God's not dead scenario. Um, and then a, a lot of these other guys, the one from Nigeria, he was actually displaced because the people that had adopted him at 10, uh, the, the dad was a political writer, and things kind of got unset and unrest over there with the government, and I guess the dad had written some stuff, so they had to move, so he ended up sending him to Houston to what was actually his brother, who was a doctor, uh, and through that, he scholarshiped over uh, through playing football, but uh, they just needed to feel family, and that was just the bottom line, and the only way that happens is to, to one another, other people. Uh, and so we ended up having a, a great time. We met for probably over a year. Um, and then, I mean, these guys wound up going to each other's weddings, being best men. They didn't really know each other outside of they all showed up at FCA at random times. Uh, and these guys got really close. I actually wound up running into the one from Pasadena uh, last season of the Astros game. And uh, I got to see his, his little boy and their newborn. Uh, that was really cool. Um, I'd already met his wife because she would show up to these every now and then because she wanted to get some of those same same types of inclusion, uh, some direction on how to kind of start her own discipleship group. Uh, but that's, that's one way to love one another directly uh, is, through, is through discipleship. So our third point is God demands that we love with affection because this displays the glory of God. In short, it, it basically says in Ephesians 4.32, to be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as Christ gave you. So this tenderness in our relationship is rooted in the tenderness that God has shown us. So we get to reflect God by showing this kind of affection to other believers. Uh, it doesn't just affirm that we're in the family, but it affirms that God's working in us, that we're working to edify the church, right? Because those are kind of our three responsibilities. Glorify God, edify the church, and evangelize to the unbeliever. Uh, that's the short list anyway. Uh, but we edify each other through a family love. And what it does is it helps paint a picture of what Christ has done. That in His family of holiness with the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, is that in His perfect place, perfectly okay with just letting us go to hell based on what Adam and Eve had done, he steps down out of his perfect place, takes on imperfect flesh to an imperfect earth, lives a perfect life to be a perfect sacrifice for an imperfect man, simply because he wants you. And then he says, now go and show that. Now that you're mine, go and show that. We see kind of this very opposite thing in what I was talking about with the church split. Uh, we've seen some very, should have been seasoned Christians acting very unseasoned towards other Christians. And honestly, the guy that they brought in, he ended up being just an innocent victim of just some ugliness. And all he was trying to do was help them out. Um, and then you saw some other people that were actually kind of hopeful in that same, that same idea, just kind of just deflate, uh, just the church. And you can just imagine when people go in and out of, out of congregations and they are like, maybe this Jesus thing ain't for me. Or they'll say, those are the worst people that you could possibly be with. It's church folks, right? I don't know if you've heard it before, but it's kind of a, a stigma. It's like, yeah, those are the biggest hypocrites out there. Well, the grand thing is we've never claimed to be perfect people to begin with, one. Uh, this is kind of like Sinners Anonymous, right? Uh, but you'll have some places that they don't own that at all. Oh, no, I'm, I'm up here. You're down here. When it's like, no, we're here. God is up here. So that was the third point. The fourth point, it actually is God's demands that we love with affection because this lures the world to love him and all that he does in Christ. You ever been playing with your kid and, your other, and then some random kid comes up there too because and they just stop and just watch? It just lures them in. It's kind of creepy if you're an adult because you're, you know, you're not trying to get on Dateline either. But this kid comes up and you're like, oh, okay. But they see you playing and they want some of that. It lures them over there. Um, in our, in our children's uh, ministry back there, she does things that lures kids back there to want to be part of that. And then once they're back there, they just fall in love with it, right? Um, 
but I, I wanted to share that, that discipleship group that I'd shown you earlier. We met at Fuddruckers. We made it a point. And these guys, they didn't care. They were broke college kids. They straight up went up to the managers like, hey, we're meeting here once a week. Do you mind if we, like, get a free soda? And I'm just so, I'm like, I'm wanting to cover my face. I'm like, oh, you guys really didn't just ask that. Uh, and they're like, oh, no, sure, you guys are good. Uh, we, we appreciate you guys. I recognize you from one of the football games, this and this. And they're like, oh, okay, great. So now they got a place to get a free soda uh, on, on Thursday nights. And, uh, and we met. And it was probably our fifth meeting. Um, I actually used the book Deci uh, Multiply, uh, Francis Chan, because it's, it's really easy. It's like six pages, big print, six pages, right? Um, so it's easy to get through if you got a week plus a whole bunch of other things. But it's at least a good guideline of, uh, of how to, how to kind of cycle through discipleship. But anyway, we got to the point to the church. And they had three chapters on the church, your individual position in the church, kind of that responsibility. And then it was the church's responsibility within the community. And then the third one was the church's responsibility globally. And I'm not sure which one of those we were at, but we had just gotten over uh, this, this talk on being a light on a hill, not being covered under a basket. And if the light's put at the highest point in the house so that it can shine and light up everything. Uh, and we said, that's, that's how we should be. And that's how an affectionate Christian should be. Well, the manager, we noticed she would just kind of make sweeps. We kind of tucked away so we weren't all off in the middle of everybody, but I also wanted these guys to kind of understand this should be something natural. You're a Christian, that you talk about Christian things. It's not something you should be doing in hiding. And we noticed that the manager continued to kind of come around. You guys okay? You guys got everything? You good? All right. Well, finally, one of those times she stops, and she says, and it was right after we got done reading the bit on the light, on a hill and she says you know I have changed my schedule to make sure I'm here when you guys are here because what I get from you guys she said it just lights up my soul so I come by just enough to hear what you're talking about and it makes me smile and it gives me a little bit of peace every week that I haven't had and of course she goes on to share a story that her kids are grown uh, they're in college so she's kind of empty nested husband had left a while back he was kind of a rough guy uh, just to kind of shorten it all up, and that she just really appreciated what we were doing. Uh, before it was all said and done, we actually had the assistant manager, because they started texting other folks to maybe come up here and, and listen to some of this stuff. They were like, well, can we be part of your group? Can, you know, I'm like, well, we're kind of, we're kind of full. I mean, honestly, you want to do that with maybe two or three people, and we, are, we kind of had five. Uh, I said, but we can honestly get you guys going. Well, <clears throat> that manager, in her brokenness, of course, uh, George was the guy from Nigeria. He gets up. He's a hugger. And he says, ma'am, can, can I just give you a hug? And he hugs this woman, and she just breaks down. And so then everybody else, you know, you got a hug after that, right? Because that's how affection works. That's the fruit of showing affection. Um, and it was just one of those moments where it's like everybody was precious. It didn't matter. You'd probably hug a stranger. Uh, so a couple of weeks went on, and... The Fuddruckers uh, there in Beaumont is in the same parking lot as the mall. Well, they have a place called Things to Remember, uh, and they, they kind of do engraving for wedding stuff, maybe knife cutting, stuff like that. But they had a little jewelry box, and every now and then for like 30 bucks, they've got a little sterling ring or something. And the guys wanted to do something nice for this lady. They wanted to take that affection to the next level. And so they threw in their money. Of course, there wasn't a lot. And so uh, I took that and, and kind of matched some stuff, and... We got her a jewelry box. Uh, we got her a bracelet, and she was kind of a bigger woman, so we didn't really know what size, so it kind of made some things complicated, but it kind of had a stretch to it. Uh, and they said, for $6 for engraving, you can get this jewelry box for free. And I said, oh, great. Well, they had shared Psalms 23 because they wanted to try their hand a little bit in sharing some scripture. So Psalms 23, if you're familiar with it, you know, Lord's my shepherd, uh, that one. And so I put PS 23. Like I said, they didn't give me a lot of money, so six bucks was the limit on that thing. Um, so we got it. We brought it. She wasn't there. This one time, she wasn't there. Well, we asked the assistant manager to call her up there because the guys were, like, way too excited. We couldn't even get into our discipleship moment because they were just, just really excited to give it to her. And that's how affection is. When you really want to love somebody, you can't wait. There's anticipation. And so they call her. 
She comes up. You could tell the lady was napping. She tried to wear something, you know, hair. It looks like she's got a palm leaf back here. She just, she didn't care. She just came on up. And, uh, and she's like, well, you know, uh, you know, we're chit-chatting. And she's like, well, I took the day off. I had to take care of some stuff. And I hated missing. But, and then, and then before she could even finish, they gave her, you know, they, they, they opened it, the jewelry box, and gave her the bracelet in the jewelry box. And, uh, She's kind of totally bypassed the bracelet, which is actually what they got her, and looked at the jewelry box, and she just broke down. She said, you know, growing up, we had a dirt floor, and I had a younger brother and a younger sister, and a lot of times we didn't have a lot to eat, so I would give what I had to my brother and sister to make sure they had enough. And we didn't really have a lot to afford. My parents were kind of rough and rugged, so we didn't have any nice things. She said, and of course, I ended up marrying a man that was just like my father. So we didn't have nice things. We fished and we hunted and all that stuff, but we just didn't, you know, I just didn't get nice, pretty things. She said, and I've had my grandmother's wedding set stuck in my sock drawer for almost 50 years now. And she says, and I finally have a place to put these rings. And we thought it was the bracelet that was going to get her, and it was this jewelry box. And you don't know that unless you get into the messiness of other people's lives. It may be the reason that we kind of hold back that affection towards other believers. But we're all messy. In fact, Christ knew that when he stepped off the throne in heaven and took off. He knew we were messy. He knew he was going to get messy. He got messy. He spit in the mud and healed a blind man. He didn't mind getting messy, but he knew it was required. And in our divine nature, we knew those are things that are required. And so... In that love and that affection, we wind up showing other folks that same thing. Uh, Matthew 5.16 kind of reiterates this point. The early church we talked about, they knew this. To say that you were a Christian, uh, you were in, in the crosshairs of some sort of persecution, whether it was punishment or death. Um, and they really weren't sure how to even deal with some of their theological issues in the Bible until Constantine showed up and made it tolerable. But he also had a Roman Empire that was broken apart that he had to kind of glue back together. And Christianity, it lured him to using that to bring Rome back together. And that Christianity was exercised. And then they were starting to then exercise things like, is Christ fully God? Is he fully man? How do we deal with that? Those types of things. It was 300 years the church existed before they could even discuss that in a setting. But it, it lured people in. And to say in the early church, hey, come be a Christian. Come do what these people kicked out of town are doing. That was certain death. But somehow the church flourished. And it grew. And it lured people in. It was exactly what was needed. And instead of sitting around talking about this is what should happen and this is how it used to be and which way are we going, the church is what the world needs. It's the reason that Christ set it into motion. And moved his focus from the Jews to the church. So now we'll get to the how. How do we do this? How do we take what Peter and, and Paul uh, have thrown in here and says that we must do? And then again, how do you show affection to somebody that you don't even like? They're a Christian, but you, man, you can't stand them. You know, so what do you just avoid them, right? Uh, basically, everything in the Bible... Everything that God has said, everything that you'll hear preached, has to do with that. It, it answers the how. It tells you to seek out other children of God and to be godly to them. But let's face it, that's not really helpful, is it? So as we close, we'll look at a couple of practical things, some things you can do. Uh, but I've kind of summed it up into this. To become the kind of person who loves believers with affection, you need to know, one, God commanded this. This is going to sound really familiar, right? Repetition is the best way to learn. Uh, God commanded this, so you need to tell yourself that affection comes from divine enablement. So you can't create this real affection for yourself. You'll just be fake. That's a fun word, right? Let's pass around for you. So this, this keeps you from being fake. And you need to pray. You need to pray regularly that God will do whatever it is He needs to do in you 
to make you the thing that he's commanded. So here's some, here's, here's some practical steps. One, preach to yourself that other believers, no matter how imperfect, are children of God, your Father. We're imperfect people. We're messy. We have flaws. We've got to own that thing. Not just own our own flaws, but understand that we're loving, flawed people. They're going to do things not our way. They're going to do things that we don't always agree with. Uh, but they're God's. And you can't claim to believe that God has given you grace and has covered you and have made that payment and then look at somebody else that God has covered and loved and given grace and made that payment and then withhold grace from them. You don't, you don't have that authority. And it really makes you hypocritical in your own faith to do that. So you've got to admit that, you know, that they do bad things. So do we. That they have bad attitudes. We can have bad attitudes too. And sometimes they just don't know how to talk to folks. Well, hey, how are they going to learn unless they're shown? And affection is kind of that bridge. Because when you come with somebody, you come at somebody with affection, they're a lot more open to receive, even if it's something foreign to them that they are not used to. And it may be that they're not used to it. They're used to criticism all the time. Everything they do isn't good enough. No matter how excited you are about something, they're going to come and be a killjoy. Oh, well, you know, that's great, but this. Oh, that sounds really good, but have you thought about that? And there, there's some realities and there's some accountabilities in those decisions, but at the same time, it's, it's not coming at them with affection. It's a constant coming at them with correction. Maybe you have somebody in your life that you don't even tell them good news because you know they're just going to Debbie down it that they're just going to find something about that that's just going to steal joy out of the whole thing. They can't even celebrate with you. They're going to be like, oh, they'll totally overlook the accomplishment and say, well, that's good. Now that you got that, you need to start focusing on this. Can we celebrate the baby steps for just a minute? Can we share some affection in that moment of just success and what God's doing in our life? Uh, the next thing is look for evidences of grace in their flawed lives. The person was probably worse off before God got a hold of them. And even the little stuff, even the baby steps are worth celebrating. And if you start focusing on the thing that God's doing in their life, it may cause you to stop focusing on all the negative stuff and cause you to get beside them, which honestly you should do anyway. Bear up one another's burdens. It doesn't say take their problems on. It means walk with them. Help them get up when they stumble. Be that sound mind of encouragement and some accountability, even if they don't listen to you, which I know we all have people in our lives that don't listen. They'll ask you and then don't listen. Um, I don't know if my folks are going to watch this, so I'll leave them alone, but my dad has just been, hey, what's this thing with Amazon? Hey, what's this thing with getting an antenna? He's wanting to cut the cord but doesn't quite know how to, and I've just had question after question after question and given answer after answer after answer and then him not listen to any of it. Uh, it could be a little frustrating. Uh, my wife knows, so she, she's, she's doing great to not give an amen at this point in time. But it's, it's understanding that we've got flawed people, that we're flawed, and that we're just a group of flawed folks trying to get closer to God. And we need each other for that to happen. It's the reason that God created this thing. And then number three, uh, remember that you were once utterly alienated from God, and you were cut off without hope. So you needed God too. You needed somebody to share the gospel with you. You needed that moment of intervention, that watershed moment. You needed somebody to come alongside you to get you where you are, whether it was a grandparent that just didn't quit, whether it was a mom or a dad that just didn't quit praying. Maybe it was a friend that you remember. They were the ones that just seemed like they could be the person you would go to instead of all the bad information with the fun friends, right, uh, that helped kind of get you in some spots that you didn't need to be in. Whatever that constant affection was in your life, it lured you back to God. Understand that these broken people that you may not be able to stand but have been saved by the grace of God, they need you like you needed those folks. And this is how you do it. You got, you got to remember to keep praying, obviously, because you need God. You just keep me, hey, it's, it's, it's a, just as much reminder to you that you need God when you pray as it is to let God know that you need Him. Uh, now, I'll close with remembering how this whole thing started, right? 
to those that have received the same faith of ours. These are believers. They receive the same faith that you've received. Show affection to other believers. And Peter does it right out of the gate. Why? Because he wants you to have the grace. He wants you to have that peace. He wants you to have abundantly. It comes from the knowledge of God. And hey, these seven virtues are going to help you attain that knowledge of God that by the fruit of it all produces that peace and, and, and that grace abundantly. Now to not exercise this, I'll give a sneak peek just before I pray and let you know that you'll wind up looking at what happens if you don't do these things. So that with the promise also kind of comes that little bit of, of it, it puts you outside the box. I don't want to say penalty, but there's some downfalls to also not doing this. Um, but we'll save that for next week. So make sure you show back up, and we'll get to the pinnacle of the seven steps with the seventh um, in this life that you've always wanted. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for our time. We thank you for each other. Uh, we thank you for your word and you. Uh, we're complicated, and we all have our issues. We all have our stigmas. We have our hurts. We have our doubts. We have our own mess. We sure don't want to take on other people's mess at times. But you say that we need to get in, and we need to get messy, and we need to be affectionate. Let us understand that this isn't just a brotherly love that's just family, but it's deeper than that, that there's an emotion-laden command that you've given us to be towards one another, that it shows who you are. It reminds those that are in the family that they're in the family, and it lets us know that we too are in the family and that the work's not done. The messiness shows us that the work's not done, so we can even find joy in the messiness. Uh, just give us the heart and the mind to gain uh, the knowledge that draws us closer to you, that we look at these virtues and understand that it draws us to a point of knowledge that brings grace and peace, which ultimately is, is the things that we want. We want it for each other. We want it for ourselves. And uh, we want to be a good reflection of you. So we praise you and we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.